Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I'm your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and ladies and gentlemen, we have hit the home stretch. What is likely to be my final podcast until we kick off the 2023 NFL Draft in Kansas City next Thursday. And with that, as we have a couple things to talk about today. First, obviously, what looks to be the sale of the Washington Commanders, a day that I never thought would come. I know some of you out there just thought it was an anomaly that it was maybe going to happen or just maybe when pigs fly, or in this case, maybe when hogs fly, that the Commanders are going to be sold by owner Dan Snyder. And while there's still reports out there that the team has not been officially sold, pen has not been put to paper from Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, Mitchell Rails, an investment group of owners that is yet to be named. Who knows who ultimately will own the Washington Commanders, but with news last week coming out that the team is most likely to be sold, there is a parade that is deserved to be had, celebration, because ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is the fact that we can finally focus on what matters most, and that is football. The product in between the hashes that has lacked for so, so, so long. Guys, I was born in the late 1990s. I was not alive to see the glory days of Washington, of the burgundy and gold. The late 80s to the 90s. Haven't seen it. Just highlights, stories, articles, videos, right? For me, I haven't seen it. We've had a couple guys to rally around since the turn of the millennium. You look at Sean Taylor, Ryan Kerrigan, the success with RG3 and Alfred Morris for one year. Guys like Santana Moss, Clinton Portis, London Fletcher, LeVar Arrington. Guys like that have been fun to watch. But playoff success hasn't been there. Haven't had a playoff win in almost 20 years. The success and consistency at any level just has not been there. And the football people have not been able to do their football jobs for a long time. It's been too damn long, really. So with 2023, with Eric Bieniemy in the building and all the excitement towards Sam Howell, most likely as QB1, as we move into the fall, new ownership in the building, it starts at the top, all the way down to what this organization has got to work to be back to. I don't think they will ever get back to what this franchise was 40-something years ago. But the talent and hopefully the brain trust in the building with Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, Ron Rivera, Eric Piannimi, and Jack Del Rio is in place to reach the performance ceiling of this roster, which is exciting On offense, defense, and special teams. All three phases of the game. But today, my focus is not on behind-the-scenes logistics and ownership. 
It is on football. It is on the NFL draft and prospects to know for you guys. Interest that I've heard out of the building from scouts and personnel for the Burgundy and Gold of potential guys that could end up in the Commander's Uni this fall. And 10 days away. So a couple weeks ago, I took you guys through a full seven-round mock. And I kind of gave you guys a, a deep dive, pulled the layers back on each of the players and how they fit into Washington's scheme, offense and defense. But today, I'm not going to go through a final mock draft. I just want to go through a long list of prospects at positions of need for Washington that, again, could be in the burgundy and gold in 10 days' time if they're a first-rounder, 11, a day-two guy, and 12. If you are a day three guy or priority UDFA or just a UDFA coming in and, and getting a, a camp tryout, a, mini, a rookie mini camp tryout. But if you've missed the mock draft, you can tune back a couple episodes and check that out. But today, I want to start, again, prospects to know. And that list starts with two headliners. And I want to start with Darnell Wright, an offensive tackle from the University of Tennessee that lived on the right side after starting his career at left tackle for the Tennessee Volunteers, protected Hendon Hooker's arm side this fall for the Volunteers, and someone that I've told you guys a lot. It starts with footwork on the offensive line, and then you work your way up. And for Darnell Wright to move the way he does at his size, both north-south in the run game on that linear plane that I talked a lot about last week with Osiris Torrance, a guard out of Florida, but the ability to move east to west— and that lateral agility to keep your feet under you, and then when you're asked to anchor against a guy that either wants to bull rush or you just want to stop a guy in his tracks on the outside and dig those cleats in the ground and sink that butt down and just anchor a guy and end the snap. Darnell Wright, his teach tape is Alabama from this fall against Will Anderson. That's what everybody turns to as far as the potential of Darnell Wright. But what I love about his game is how he is so refined and pass pro, and then you watch him in the run game. And what I mean by that is when I evaluate Darnell Wright, you look at, and really tackles overall, is how good are they in pass pro? That's what scouts look at first, and that's what evaluators look at in the league first. Can a guy hold up in pass pro? Because we can work on him in the run game. And you watch Darnell work, whether he's a whether he's vertically setting, whether he's someone that oversets and is asked to then retrack his steps and work to the inside with that inside hand, that left arm, or he just faces a guy that's 240 pounds on the outside, a hybrid rusher, and he's got to really kick step and get out and reach that right arm around and push the guy back inside. And then the rep is over because he's got just mitts for hands and really Venus fly traps to where you, he allows you to get his hands inside of the breastplate of the defensive edge, the edge rusher, the rep is over. So I, I really like Darnell Wright. He is someone I've liked for a long time. Early in this process, he was looked upon as a mid-day two guy. Early, and then he moves up to early day two after his success at the Senior Bowl. And now he's looking like a potential top 20 pick, top 25 pick. So at right tackle, I am not sure if that is the fit for Washington right now. I know there is a need at the left side, though. Guys, I like Charles Leno. He's done a fine job the couple of years he's been here, but he's been in the league for a while now, but at times he looks completely unplayable. 
And if you add a quarterback under center in Sam Howell, the best way to allow him to reach that performance ceiling is keeping him upright. You fortified the right side with bringing in Andrew Wiley. You brought in Nick Gates to allow some versatility at center and guard in the interior. But that left side, whether it's Norwell at left guard or Charles Leno at left tackle, there's still questions there. Is that a potentially a, a swing spot because they have Cornelius Lucas still in the building? Or are they still trying to use Sadiq Charles at tackle? That's not going to happen, folks. I need a guy with fresh legs in the building that has nastiness in the run game as well because we know Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibbs are going to get their carries this year. I need guys that can hold up in pass pro against whether you're facing Hassan Reddick, whether you're facing a guy like Leonard Williams that wants to bump out to five tech for the New York Giants. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to sit in pass pro and the ability to hold up on the outside against every single type of elite rusher that the NFL has. And we know that the NFC East has a bunch of guys. When you look at Dallas with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, I just mentioned the Giants with Leonard Williams. Well, that's in the interior alongside Dexter Lawrence. They have Aziz Ojolari. They drafted Kayvon Thibodeau. Then you look at Philadelphia, and obviously I don't need to go on names and names all day long, but Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, and they got guys in the middle. And then you got, they may draft a guy or two in this draft class to fill the edge. So you got to get guys that tackle that can fill holes and be immediately successful in pass pro. And that is Darnell Wright from Tennessee. So next, I want to talk a little bit about a guy. I know this. you guys have been talking a lot about it on social media as far as is this guy going to be a potential selection for Washington if he's there at 16. And that is Texas running back B. John Robinson. Now, first things first, ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to be upset in any way if Washington were to take a talent like Bijan Robinson. Because for me, guys, he is the 1B to Will Anderson's 1A in this class. He is the number two overall prospect, again, in this class for me. He is a special athlete under center. He is not going to need a grace period. It doesn't matter whether you're running gap, whether you're running zone. It does not matter. You're asking him to pass pro. You're asking him to work in space, not just running little flat routes out of the backfield, but you want to get him in the slot. You want to flex him out to the boundary and do some unique things on the perimeter and force a safety or a linebacker out to the perimeter or get another DB on the field because he can actually run routes and has good hands. He is a mismatch nightmare, and when you give him the ball 25, 30 times a game, he is special. Now, with that, I just do not see the fit in Washington right now for Bijan because I like Brian Robinson, and I like Antonio Gibson, specifically with how Eric Bieniemy used guys like Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over the last few years in Kansas City, obviously Pacheco was a rookie last year, but you guys saw how they were used in that Super Bowl, kind of those pony personnel, two guys in the backfield, unique weapons. And Bijan will be that RB1 bell cow workhorse for an offense. Washington has that in Brian Robinson right now. And I love, love Brian Robinson at running back and his physicality and the juice that he has that's really underrated to sneak outside the tackles, run over guys in space. It takes two, three guys to take him down every single time. He's always falling forward. He's come back, obviously, from a situation that is just mind-boggling that it even happened. And it's even still astounding that he's even playing football. 
But the bottom line is that I like who Washington has in their running backs room right now with Robinson and with Gibson and how he's going, especially with Antonio, how he's going to be used in space this year with Biennemi. But that RB3 spot, I will talk about it in a little bit because again, Washington right now, their focus at the running back position from what I've been told is on day three and has UDFAs to come in and be that potential change of pace RB3 that J.D. McKissick was and a guy that can offer some value on teams because Washington has not been able to figure out punt return and kick return for a long time now. Haven't had that field flipper. So Washington's going to be looking that, again, late day three and as UDFAs to come in the building and potentially compete for snaps in that aspect. But Bijan Robinson, again, guys, would not hate the pick. I'm not going to complain about a talent like Bijan Robinson adding him in the building. And again, Eric Bieniemy's throwing a complete wrench into the offensive process as far as what they're focusing on and how are they prioritizing tackle or guard or tight end or running back or quarterback, right? There's a lot of positions that you could say Washington has a whole. haven't found that final piece to the puzzle because you're constantly trying to jigsaw pieces and players into your scheme. Bijan Robinson fits any single scheme in the NFL, whatever you want to do. And again, I would not be upset at the pick. I just think there are bigger needs right now than a running back at 16 overall. So from there, I want to talk about a major need for Washington right now and a position that needs, it just needs an upgrade. And I don't think the guys in the building right now are going to, they make Eric Bannemi feel comfortable. And that is tight end. Guys, Logan Thomas, John Bates, Cole Turner, I've talked about it a lot. I've talked about Armani Rogers and the athlete that he is because he is the best athlete that Washington has in their tight ends room. But for me, it goes to Dalton Kincaid. And that's a guy I want to talk about tight end out of Utah. For me, he is tight end one in the class. If you guys want to check out my full tight end big board, my top 10 in the class, you can just search on Google and go over to thedraftnetwork.com. My tight end big board is up on the site. Dalton Kincaid is my number one guy. Why? Because he is that modern day flex weapon that isn't terrible. When he's asked to be the Y and block, he wins with leverage. He has good technique and it's something that I think he can better at as we move down the line. But we know how important the tight end position is in B enemy's offense, not just Travis Kelsey, but the guys behind him for years on end. You have to have guys that create mismatches from a defensive perspective. The attention right now for Washington immediately goes to number 17 in Terry McLaurin and number one on Jahan Dotson. It's not Curtis Samuel. It's not Brian Robinson. It's not Antonio Gibson. It is Terry and it is Jahan. Where are those guys aligning on every single snap? Then you add a guy like Dalton Kincaid, whether he is in line with his hand in the dirt or he is flexed out. He can just do so many things for you and has the surest hands in the class. Really outside of it's him, it's Charlie Jones from Purdue, wide receiver. It's guys like Josh Downs from North Carolina. Elite hands sticky hands. They got some of that old stickum on his hands. Whether the ball is within his frame, it's above his head, it's at the dirt, to the left, to the right, you have to play above the rim in a corner. You're in a in tight spaces. You got to reach out in front of a corner. He's got his hands through your hands and you got to haul in the ball. He's a hands catcher. He's a natural hands catcher. You need that at the tight end position. And I just do not know if Washington has that in the building right now. So Dalton Kincaid, tight end from Utah. You're sitting there at 16. I don't think he gets out of the first round. Does Washington want to take him at 16? Is there maybe teams that potentially want to trade up and Washington maybe trade back? Now, again, to trade back, you got to get a partner or someone to come up. But maybe he's there at 20, 21. And you want to grab maybe grab an extra 
fourth round pick or fifth round pick. Who knows? There's a lot of situations and things that will happen on draft day that will throw a lot of boards into chaos. But at 16, Dalton Kincaid may be available. And that's Washington's guy. Then make him your guy. And he would be an immediate boost to an offense where we expect to be much, much better this year. So again, that is Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. Next guy, I want to flip to the opposite side of the ball. And that is Joey Porter Jr., corner out of Penn State. Now, guys, if you've listened to me on other podcasts or any appearances that I've done, I've talked a little bit about Joey Porter and some of the concerns that the league has towards his game. And they are legit. And some of it comes with laziness. And for me, I don't see it. Uh, Bottom line, I do not see it. Uh, The same thing was talked about with Sam Howell, actually, guys. Last year, coming out of North Carolina, where he was a little bit lethargic. Some reports, some people I I talked to said he was lethargic, really didn't look like he was fully involved or wanted to be there. And you see now what kind of Sam Howell's progressed to and how he's been as a professional this year and moving into year two and potentially QB1 of this offense. So some of that stuff you take with a grain of salt because it comes from you don't know who, whether it's directly from talks with Joey or whether it's from other sources. But the bottom line is Joey Porter Jr. made it look extremely easy for the Lions while he was there for, for those three years. And I like guys that make it look easy. Just make it look easy and too easy at times because he's in the power five and he is in the big 10 and they take some lumps. Yeah. I think you turn on the film against Charlie Jones at Purdue and Charlie got him a couple times. Charlie Jones is actually a receiver on late day two to day three that I really like in this class. But Joey Porter Jr. is someone that can play man, can play zone, has that atypical zone body, meaning he can align seven yards off the ball and work downhill and make plays at the catch point with those 34-inch arms. It's ridiculous. Guys, he's got as long or longer arms than some offensive linemen and defensive linemen in this class. It really is ridiculous on the outside. And then you combine his ability, his feet, his eyes, his playmaking ability, then his willingness to tackle in space. Now, those are things, everything that I just mentioned, he can get even better at moving down the line. But then you throw him within Washington's defense where you got a front forward. You're expecting to be a top three to five unit in football to where it allows the corners to not have to cover for four or five seconds, three seconds max. And you're allowed to make plays on the outside and you're allowed to cheat a little bit. And I think you watch Joey Porter, whether you're in zone and he's allowing guys to cross his face and understand what's going on behind him. Communication. He's playing man, carrying guys 15 to 30 yards down the field elongating that stride and reaching those 34-inch arms out, whether he's getting a pick or a PBU. I love his game. I really do. And again, he makes it look easy. And you're going to get in a building and a defense that has a bunch of young alphas, and he's an alpha himself. You look at the young players in that secondary that we're expecting more of this year, right? Benjamin St. Juice on the opposite side. Maybe that kicks in Kendall Fuller to nickel. Who knows? We'll see. But for me, Joey Porter Jr. is a guy that is the third corner on my board. If you're interested in my corner board, that is also up at the draftnetwork.com. But he is the third corner on my board. And I, I just, I really like his game. I think he's someone that fit extremely well in what Jack Del Rio wants to do, playing some man, playing some zone, attacking downhill on the outside. So again, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. And if Washington takes him at 16, it'd be two straight years. Washington takes a guy out of Penn State, obviously, after taking Jahan Dotson last year. From there, I want to go to a guy at the edge spot. And this is a position to where I'm not sure what Washington wants to do at edge. Is the future Montez Sweat and Chase Young? 
2022 was an awfully good year for Montez Sweat. Chase Young, we haven't seen him really much of the last two years after suffering the torn ACL. 2020 rookie season was fantastic, but it's crazy to think that Chase Young is already moving into year four. And what are they going to do with that fifth-year option? Now, Washington started workouts today. He's in, he's in the building. He's working out with everybody. That's great to see. But we have not seen Montez and Chase reach that potential of a duo combining with what the push we know we're going to get from the interior with John Allen, Deron Payne, and even guys behind them and Phil Mathis coming back. This will be his redshirt freshman year, if you will, after suffering the knee injury, obviously in week one last week, last year, excuse me. So, and John, and John Ridgeway as well, who's going to get a lot of snaps. He had a heck of a year, his rookie year last fall. But my focus goes to a guy in Tavius Robinson, SEC guy out of Ole Miss. We know Washington loves taking guys out of the SEC, really the NFL as a whole, right? Guys out of the SEC, you love to take because of the grace period, if there is any, because of how high a level the competition is, not just in practice, but in games, of course. And whether you're playing Alabama or LSU or Tennessee, or you got to go to Georgia, it doesn't matter. I saw Tavius at the Senior Bowl, and he was someone that hasn't got a lot of attention in this class. But I love his feet, and I love his hands, and I love his pass rush repertoire on the outside. Big kid, looks the part, can play the run game, and I think someone that will come into the building and be that edge three or edge four. Guys, I don't know if like James Smith-Williams of the world, Casey Twohills, William Bradley Kings, and Chaka Tonys are guys that move the needle at all from a rotational DPR perspective. And I look at Tavius and someone that not just can be maybe a DPR right now, but someone that can progress to be a potential starter down the line. I think he's going to be a late day two guy, if not an early day three guy. And that's the bucket to where I see Washington going edge and getting some more younger bodies. Yeah, it was Jameson Williams, seventh rounder, William Bradley King, seventh rounder, Shaka Tony, late day three as well. You got to get some more juice there and get guys to push Montez and Chase because competition, I know the old saying, iron sharpens iron. It really does. And Tavius from Ole Miss, again, senior bowl guy, NFL likes his game. I like his game. Turn on his tape and just watch his explosiveness, the ability to stick out that arm and, and seal the edge in the run game. That's advanced stuff. And I think that's something that you can work with in a ball of clay and working under guys like Chase and Montez. And then in the same meeting rooms, you want to do defensive line meetings with Deron and John and Ryan Kerrigan's in the, in the meeting room. That stuff matters. So Tavius Robinson, a kid from Ole Miss, along with the guy that I had in my seven round mock and Yaya Diaby from Louisville, who blew up the combine, bigger kid as well. That was also down at the senior bowl are two names to watch in the edge class for me as we move into next week. From there is, is another guy, not edge directly, but a guy that can play a lot of different spots for you and fill a multitude of spots. And that's on defense. And that is Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin, a guy that can line with his hand in the dirt. He can stand up and play the five and play the nine outside the tight end, or he can play some off-ball linebacker for you and work in coverage. And I don't think you can have enough of those guys in your LB slash edge room. And you want a guy that can do a multitude of things and do them well? That is Nick Herbig. And we know that the Big Ten, right, Wisconsin, the Iowas, a lot of those schools are known for their big boys up front, right? The front the front five and the defensive four or defensive three, whether you're running an odd man front or an even man front. But Nick Herbig does so many things well and has a nastiness to his game to where it fits what Jack Del Rio wants to do. And then you ask him to drop in coverage. And I think you look at the linebackers Washington has right now, look to start as Jamin Davis and Cody Barton. I've talked to you guys about Cody Barton. I like Cody Barton, but Nick has the ability to rush with some success, not just bull rush the guy and hope everything, hope everything works out and he ends up in the lap of the quarterback. 
but he actually has good hands. He can win to the outside. He can stick that foot in the ground and jump to the inside. Or he can seal the edge. Or he can get off a block and wrangle a running back down in the flat areas of the defense with his back turned to the offensive line. He can do a lot of different things for you. I love guys that have versatility. So Nick Herbig from Wisconsin, an edge rusher slash linebacker, play some stack linebacker, can play off the ball. A lot of different things he can do at the defensive line, at the defensive line, that first level and the second level as well. So that's a name to watch. From there, I want to jump to the offensive side of the ball. And I mentioned some running backs earlier when I talked about Bijan. These are two names that, along with Evan Hull, running back from Northwestern, I talked about in my, in my mock. Again, if you missed that, you can go back a couple episodes and check that out. But Keaton Mitchell from East Carolina and Jaleel McLaughlin from Youngstown State, probably two guys you've never heard of. And specifically, I want to start with McLaughlin. One of the most historically successful running backs ever to suit up in NCAA football, whether it's Division I, Division II, Division III, or Division I FCS, Division I FBS, it does not matter. NCAA all-time record holder, 8,166 yards and 79 touchdowns, over 145 yards a game and nearly two touchdowns a game as well in 56 games. Not the biggest guy in the world. He's going to be about 5'7", 5'8", at most. But he is somebody, again, most likely late day three. There's a lot of buzz on this guy around the league. I don't think he gets to be UDFA. I think he is a guy that's going to be drafted. I really do. You watch his game. Again, change of pace, talent, shorter guy in stature that can holster some some carries for you. Think of think of Boston Scott, the Darren Sproles is in Philadelphia. Are you even thinking of a guy like Kenny Gainwell? And of course, think of J.D. McKissick in Washington, a guy that can holster some carries and is dynamic in space and has the potential, untapped potential as a kick returner. Jaleel McLaughlin from Youngstown State is a name to watch. And then again, Keaton Mitchell from ECU. I know a lot of you out there may be ECU Pirates, maybe some ECU Pirates alum in here, but there are not many guys, when I look into day, the day three bucket and UDFA bucket running backs that have the success of Keaton Mitchell, the feet, the vision, the ability in space, and the willingness to stick his face in and pass pro. I just, I like guys like that. I want guys like that on my football team. We saw a couple of years ago when Washington brought in Jared Patterson from Buffalo as a UDFA, uber successful, smaller guy, not afraid of anything. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're six foot five, 300 pounds, Jared Patterson is going to run through your face. It did not matter who you were, where you went to school. Jared, every single snap was earned for him and he acted and played like every single snap was his last. And I always appreciated that about Jared. But now you look at Washington and now you look at Eric Bieniemy in the building and how Washington has approached the running back position of late with JD. And now I know he's gone, but that RB3 role has to get a smaller guy, change of pace guy, in space, special teams, and can holster some carries and be that guy in pony personnel. If you don't want to have B-Rob or Antonio Gibson on the field, bring him on the field and allow him to be a mismatch nightmare. So two RBs to know in this class late on day three in UDFAs, Keaton Mitchell, K-E-A-T-O-N from ECU and Jaleel McLaughlin from Youngstown State. From there, I want to jump back to the tight end position. I talked about Dalton Kincaid from Utah earlier. Two other names if Washington doesn't want to go on day one. Potentially guys late day two and on day three. One is Brenton Strange from Penn State, and the other 
is Daniel Barker from Michigan State. So two Big Ten names to know. And another Nittany Lion and Brenton Strange. They had a lot of guys this year for Penn State and head coach James Franklin that were dynamic at the tight end position. And I look at Brenton and his ability to, again, play the Y and play the F. I think it's really untapped potential for him as far as his ability in space. Now, he's not going to be as dynamic as a Kincaid or you look at Sam Laporta or Luke Musgrave over the middle portions of the field. But you look at his ability in space to run the seam. You look at his ability to block. I think he's underrated extremely in this class as a blocker. And I think he's someone that reminds me a little bit in his movement skills in those short area two to three yards to either side of him to break off of linebackers, sit in zone, understand what he's looking at. He reminds me a little bit of Armani Rodgers and the small glimpse that we saw of him in the preseason and then obviously his standout games against the Colts and the Packers this year. He reminds me a little bit of Armani, but just more refined as a blocker and ability to understand what he's looking at, especially when he's facing zone and how to separate against man. So Brenton Strange from Penn State, and then Daniel Barker from Michigan State was a guy, man, you turn on his tape, just an old throwback style of tight end. No gloves, right? Playing in Michigan State up in East Lansing. Just, again, no gloves. Doesn't matter if it's 70 degrees out or 35 degrees out and snowing. No gloves. Physical, right? Where he's going to make his money is in space, though. And you think you look at him and just look at a picture of Daniel Barker and you're going to say, that's not a guy that can move that well. He's a big, physical, rocked up dude. Well, turn on the tape and you watch him move and his agility, his lateral agility, ability to separate whether it's a safety coming down and he's trying to run with him or it's a linebacker and trying to out physical and at the line of scrimmage and press. Can't do it. And I think Daniel's a name. Again, my tight end board is up at the draftnetwork.com. Daniel Barker is in my top 10 tight ends as well as Brenton Strange. So you can check that out at thedraftnetwork.com is why I like these guys in Washington's scheme specifically. They're guys that can flat out play football and do a lot of different things for you. You got to get guys that can, again, if you're not a great blocker, you got to be good in space. And both these guys can block a little bit. Barker's better than Strange in my opinion, but I like Barker in space and his ability to separate over the second level and provide the sure set of hands get the ball in his hands, and then create that yak, that yards after catch, and that rack, the run after the catch ability that he has that is sneaky, has some sneaky juice in this class. And there are two names. Again, this is a deep tight end class, extremely deep, lots of depth. And these are guys that are going to be a little bit overlooked as day three guys, Brenton Strange from Penn State and Daniel Barker from Michigan State. And then finally, of course, the biggest need in the Burgundy and Gold is corner. And I want to go through a couple of names. Again, I talked about Joey Porter Jr. early as the headliner. But a couple guys that I think can fit a multitude of positions. Mainly, my focus right now is in that day two bucket. Whether it's early day two, if Washington doesn't want to go corner at 16. They want to get a guy that just lives over the nickel. They, they have expectations for St. Juice and maybe Cameron Dantzler to play on the outside. Guys, who knows? But the bottom line is... There are guys in this class that can do a lot of different things in the corner spot, play inside, play outside. Some are better in man, some are better in zone. But a couple of names to know. One is Garrett Williams from Syracuse, a guy that has a has had a heavy amount of interest, specifically from an NFC East foe in the Philadelphia Eagles, and then adding more depth to that room after bringing back Darius Slay and James Bradbury this year to be their CB1 and CB2. But Garrett Williams coming off a knee injury suffered for the, for the Syracuse Orange this year. But he, this fall, was looked upon as, as a potential late day one guy 
early portions of day two. And right now, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a top 40, top 45 pick. But as you move into the back end of, of round two and into round three, this is a guy I really like. Uh, I love his ability on the outside. And what stands out to me most is his ability, like Devin Witherspoon from Illinois, who may be a top 10 pick when it's all said and done, is his willingness and pop in his pads. And I think it's just a lost art at the corner and safety position in the NFL nowadays because physicality has just been taken out of the game. I love Garrett's ability to pop. I love it. And then you watch how fluid he is in coverage, whether he is in man, whether he is in zone, his ability to consistently stay in phase with receivers. And when the biggest thing for me when I evaluate corners is how long they can stay neutral. And what I mean by that is not opening your hips, whether you're opening them toward the sideline or you're opening them towards the middle of the field. Staying neutral and facing with your shoulders forward towards the line of scrimmage and able to backpedal. And by doing that, your ability when you have to close off and click or T-step on the outside towards a receiver, whether you're T-stepping to your right, you're T-stepping to your left, being able to stay neutral for as long as you can, whether that is 10 yards before you flip and run, or that's 15 yards. The ability to do that is what separates the elite of this class, the average of this class, and then the below average guys in this class. I think Garrett, now the injuries are going to be a concern for for some teams. What I've heard from Garrett is that everything is progressing well, and he's expected to be full go for training camp, especially this summer. But he's someone in that day two bucket. Again, Garrett Williams out of Syracuse that can flat out play ball and do a lot of different unique things for a defense on the outside. And guys that can play both man and zone. I like his game. And Garrett Williams from Syracuse. A couple guys that I also wanted to talk about are mainly nickel guys. And that is Clark Phillips the third from Utah. THT, Travius Hodges-Tomlinson, from TCU, and Keetro Clark from Louisville. And with Clark, I don't want to pigeonhole him into nickel, but he will be just because he doesn't have the biggest, the longest arms. He's going to be a guy that is small, but inside that, that five-yard contact window, his feet, his ability to reroute receivers, his ability to keep his eyes on the quarterback and receiver seemingly at the same time, his vision is just fantastic, and he is a flat-out alpha. Love his game from Utah. Whether, again, I wouldn't have an immense amount of concern starting him right away on the outside, but teams are going to have issues with the length, and I think Washington, we know the type of guys they like on the outside. They like guys with some length. Look at Benjamin St. Juice, and look at a guy specifically like Cameron Dantzler. Longer corners. I don't think Clark fits, fits that Washington bucket, but at nickel, absolutely. THT, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, as I mentioned, from TCU. The CFP championship losers, but still made the CFP. Travius was, man, I I wish this kid was was 5'11", 6 foot. You know, he's about 5'8", and has the same size concerns that Clark Phillips does. But you watch him. He played on the outside all year long for TCU. And one of the most enjoyable players to watch on tape. A flat-out dog. On the perimeter. There's not many guys in this class that have that demeanor on the outside. You can just tell when they play to where they're talking it and then they back it up as well. You guys know what I mean by that. Cam Smith from South Carolina is a is a round one guy for me. He's that he has that as well. Travius is just a flat out stud on the outside. And I think he's someone that's gonna be really good for a long time. I don't want to put him in the bucket just, just because he's small and place him at nickel. I know I just said that with Clark Phillips. That's just how the league's going to evaluate him. But you need a guy that can 
cover a, a 5'9 slot guy or 5'11 slot guy, and then they want to put a, a Mike Evans or a bigger guy, or a, you guys know Antonio Gandy-Golden or a Cam Sims, just from Washington guys' perspective, bigger bodies is what I mean, in the slot, I mean, A.J. Brown, right, in in Philadelphia, or a, a Mike Williams in, in with the Los Angeles Chargers, bigger guys inside the slot. Travius, again, not the biggest guy in the world, but a flat-out good football player, and that has to hold weight when you're taking these players. And again, a, a above-average athletic profile can run with anybody, like his game inside at nickel in this Washington defense. Some teams may like him outside, but for me in this Washington defense, I'm placing him at nickel and adding some more bodies to that room and competition for guys like Danny Johnson and guys even like Kendall Fuller if they want to slide him inside and out a little bit. But the last guy too is Keetra Clark from Louisville. He was the most dominant corner at Shrine this year. And his biggest competition out at Shrine was actually Mitchell Tinsley from Penn State that wasn't initially invited to Shrine. And what I like about Keytrail is in the reps that I saw at Shrine and in tape with Louisville this fall and over the last few years was sometimes he would take his lumps, but immediately the next play, two, three, four after that, and the next series to come was shut down. And it's not about if you lose a rep, but always the old saying, oh, you get knocked down, you're going to get back up. At corner, you're not going to win every single rep. You're just not. This is the NFL. You got guys that get their studs on the outside, on the opposite side of the ball too. But Keytrail consistently, the little lumps that he did take, Every single rep immediately after was shut down. Again, whether he's in man or he's aligned in zone. And I, I just, there's something about that when I watch Keytrail that a guy that may be a, whether some teams evaluate him as a, a round four guy or a round five, round six guy, he's someone I want on my football team. Bigger than Clark, bigger than Travis, as I just mentioned. So he has that inside out versatility. Also a guy you take on day three, you're going to ask to play some special teams as well. Similar to what at Washington asked of Christian Holmes, kind of that longer corner. Again, seventh rounder out of Oklahoma State last year that we saw get two starts against New York. And of course, that muddy game against Atlanta. But a guy that cut his teeth on special teams. But I like Keytrail more as a corner, a fundamental cover guy than Christian coming out again, of Oklahoma State last year. So Washington, again, add more bodies on the outside, someone that can play the nickel, that can play the outside and special teams and has that alpha mentality I just love to have in my secondary. Smooth feet, rocked up upper body, not afraid to stick his face in the mud in the run game. Keytrail Clark from Louisville is another name to watch. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. Most likely my last podcast until we finally get to this thing in the 2023 NFL draft in 10 days, again, kicking off in Kansas City next week. So always appreciate you guys. If you don't follow me already on Twitter, underscore Ryan Fowler, you can shoot me a follow there. All my written work, Casales at thedraftnetwork.com, including more audio and video content. Again, I will be active, of course, on social media, on Twitter, what I'm hearing at, not just out of Ashburn, but across the NFL. Day one, day two, day three, I will take it, take you through it all, but again, as always, appreciate you guys tuning in, sticking with me through the process. Guys, it's a crazy thing. We're just a little over a week away, but once this draft is over, we are full steam ahead towards the 2023 season. It's the best time of the year. Excited for Washington, whether they want to go offense, defense. We're going to see a lot of guys added on either side of the ball, impact players. Of course, I will break it down for you. As soon as I get back from Kansas City, we will dive into every single pick that Washington makes. I'm extremely excited. I know you guys are as well. Enjoy the next 10 days. I will talk to you again, most likely right after the draft. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. Guys, enjoy the best time of the year. The NFL draft has arrived. Look forward to talking to you guys soon. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this 
is commanding the huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.